Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Hi, I'm Paul Listick, and welcome to Behind the Curtain. They tried to make me go to rehab. I said no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no, no, no. I ain't got the time. And if my daddy thinks I'm fine, they try to make me go to rehab. I won't go, go, go. Well, good afternoon and good evening and good morning, everybody, as you are listening to Paul Lisnick Behind the Curtain. This is Paul from WGN-TV, but as always on the podcast, I get to explore the world of entertainment. Why would I start off with Amy Winehouse singing the rehab song? It's because our topic is going to be about a brand new play written by a Chicago favorite and starring two favorite entertainers as we get going. The play is the world premiere of When Harry Met Rehab. Ah, that's the reason for the song. And my guests on this uh, interview, uh, the fabulous Dan Butler and Melissa Gilbert. Welcome to both of you, and welcome to Chicago. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let me, Dan, let me start um, with you. Talk about, um, I know this is the story of Harry Tynowitz, who a lot of Chicagoans know. Actually, Harry's brother, Danny, is a good friend of mine. And Danny thinks he's the talented one of the, of the brothers. So you can tell that to Harry. That's up to you. But, but tell me a little bit, Dan, about what, what this show is all about. Uh, well, I believe about 10 years ago, uh, Harry had a very public DUI. Uh, and to save his job and probably not go to jail, uh, he was asked to go to eight weeks of uh, rehab for alcohol addiction. And it's uh, his journey, ostensibly, uh, there and, and the people he met there and who were very influential in changing his life. And Melissa, your role then, since I'm guessing, Dan, you are in that hairy role. Melissa, who yeah. do you play? I play Barb, the therapist at rehab, but also recovering um, from heroin addiction. And uh, Barb is also a former magician. So um, I, I'm a very colorful character, which is, is great fun for me to play. Lots of layers. So, so does that mean, Melissa, that while you're running these sessions, you're also making things disappear and doing some card tricks? Yes. Perchance, there might be a little actual magic in the show. Maybe one <laughs> trick. Oh, I love it. Um, so, Dan, I, I want to talk a little bit about your past careers. Everybody knows you, and I'm not doing my job if I don't, um, although I might surprise you because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the things that everybody knows about you guys. Uh, anybody that doesn't know, Dan, that you played Bulldog on Frasier for 11 years, I think you only missed one year in there, but um, but there was Roseanne, there was Mr. Simmons and Hey Arnold. And, and the thing is, what, you, what pe- people may not know, because you're this sort of TV icon, you have actually done um, a lot of stage work, right? You played uh, Lennon in Travesties, Truman Capote in uh, Warhol Capote. So th- you are not in unfamiliar territory. Oh, no, no. I, uh, that's, that's where I began. It's my first love, and I always love coming back to it. And just have been incredibly 
fortunate to be able to uh, work in all mediums and uh, they all have their own particular stamina, but you can't, you can't trade being on stage uh, uh, in front of an audience and knowing that this is the only time this particular show will be done this way ever. Uh, and mistakes might be made. You got to cover, cover, cover them, but you're there with the audience and they're another character in the whole uh, makeup. And Melissa, I mean, obviously, everybody knows you from Little House on the Prairie, of course. They may not know. See, I, I do know more. I'm kind of an old-time uh, TV guy. So I want to give a, a nod to your dad. He's not with us anymore, but Paul Gilbert, because he was in one of the great Dick Van Dyke episodes. I'm a huge Dick Van Dyke fan called My Mother Can Beat Up My Father. He played Mr. Cavendish. Is this a memory you have at all? You know what? This is extraordinary that you would bring this up. First of all, thank you for the love for my dad. I so appreciate that. And I have this wonderful fan out there named Brianna who had began posting clips of my father in various films and television on Instagram and tagging me. And uh, we exchanged actual mailing addresses. And she ran all of these things off on DVD and sent them to me, which I then transferred electronically. So they live in my computer and I can watch my father do his thing anytime I want to, which is a total gift. He actually shot that Dick Van Dyke show before I was born, I think. Yeah, he did. I know. And and by the way, he was in Gomer Pyle. I live in the 60s. So uh, sorry about that. But I just I, I just love those. I've got uh, Don Knotts daughter coming on in a couple of weeks to this show. So I just just love all that stuff. But I also am going to be fair because maybe some people have brought up your dad, but I'm going to also bring up your mom because your mom was Barbara Crane and what to be honest the thing i'm really tying to her with kudos she was the daughter of harry crane and he created the honeymooners one of the great sitcoms of all time that's absolutely 100 percent correct i i come from a family with deep comedy roots um, my godparents are a stand-up comedy duo from the 60s and 70s mitzi mccall and charlie brill so i i grew up around you know these incredibly talented brilliantly funny people my whole life how i ended up being the one you know, staring out windows with tears in my eyes on film is beyond me. <laughs> and, and by the way, do you want Dan and I to call you Madam President since you were president of the Screen Actors Guild and we're both members? Oh, well, Dan knows that he's supposed to address me as your royal highness on a daily basis. So I would prefer that. Actually, I've asked Dan to address me that way, too, so we might have a fight over that. Dan, you wrote um, uh, kind of an autobiographical, uh, biographical show called The Only Thing Worse You Could Have Told Me, uh, which made me think it's where Chastin Buttigieg might have gotten his title of I Have Something to Tell You for his book. But I saw you off-Broadway in that show, and in that way, in many ways, that show was kind of, because you wrote it, it was kind of a public coming out for you, wasn't it? It's old news now, but not at that time. Well, I guess it was. I was never in, but it's. I think you know it was happening at the same time. I was doing this uh, rapidly heterosexual sports announcer on Frasier, uh, uh, so it was just wonderful that life saw fit that these two things were happening at the same time. But I was more, um, I was more challenged and intrigued with the whole idea of doing a one man show. That scared me more than you know, being open about my sexuality. It was like, uh, well, I hope this means something to someone other than myself. Um, but it was a blast, great adventure. And yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, well, I saw it off Broadway and I thought it was just amazing. I also can't hit Melissa with a bunch of 60s stuff and ignore you. You were the winner. I did not know this actually, but you were the winner 
of the Irene Ryan Scholarship uh, at yeah. Indiana. Did, did you ever get to meet Granny of the Beverly Hillbillies? No, I wish I had. I, she, by the time I wanted, uh, I mean, this was 1975. Uh, she had passed away by then, you know, just two years, three years before that. But I'm, I, as well as so many actors, uh, college actors who benefited from her generosity, I am so uh, indebted to her um, and have a scholarship that, uh, at the regional campus. Well, it used to be a regional campus at Bayou and Purdue and Fort Wayne, Indiana. Now it's just Purdue. But uh, uh, she got me, uh, she inspired me to set up the, uh, the scholarship. Fantastic. And by the way, Melissa, this is a question I've always wanted to ask you. That's what I love about doing the podcast. These things that are always in my mind, I get to bring out. I interviewed Lucy Arnez recently, and we got to, I asked her all sorts of things about her parents. I had always wondered. So for you, because you appeared in, you know, more recent versions of The Miracle Worker, Diary of Anne Frank, I'm just sort of curious, curious did you look up to, did you any kind of, uh, in any way, emulate Patty Duke? Because obviously you share some, some projects. Yes, absolutely. I I did I did three movies with Anna uh, Patty Duke during the course of my lifetime. We were very 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 close. Um, I of course looked up to her. She was like a second mother to me. And um, when we did the Miracle Worker, actually before we shot it as a film, we did it as a play in Florida, in Palm Beach, Florida. And it was my first time on stage. I was fourteen. And she really uh, mentored me through that whole process because I'd never done it before. I mean, to the point where there was one curtain call where I like reached up to scratch my nose and she slapped my hand out of my face and pulled me backstage after and said, never, ever, ever do anything but acknowledge your audience when you're doing your curtain call kid. Um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. She was great. She was an, a really, really uh, deeply talented human being and an incredibly loving person. And she is greatly missed. Yeah, what a great story. So I, I, so I have to ask, Dan, did you ever get that kind of advice from, say, a John Mahoney or, or somebody who you worked with for a long time? Maybe they didn't tell you to stop scratching your nose, but, you, you know, we're working with him. I interviewed John years ago, and sometime when I see you in person, I have a story about that to tell you. But um, did you ever get advice from, from somebody like Mahoney throughout the years? Oh, gosh. Of course, you know, you ask a question like that, and my mind freezes. But I'm, I'm sure it's just, uh, um, you know... Yes, but there, it's. Gee, my mind just froze. I'm gonna have. That's to all right. Back. <laughs> I will. I will come up with a gem in just a few moments. Well, if you have a memory that Moose taught you, I'm happy to go there too. Who, of course, played the dog, but. <laughs> I, I met Moose, and to be honest, as much as I love meeting John Mahoney and everybody else, give me Moose. I'm all about the dogs. Um, <laughs> and I have one other thing that I love bringing up things people may not know. So, Melissa, we might have been calling you Madam Congresswoman, at least uh, mm. not so long ago in 2016. For people who don't know that, you might have been a congresswoman from Michigan. You you won the primary. I did. I was the Democratic nominee for the 8th District in Michigan, and and was definitely on a path to hopefully win that seat. I don't know what would have happened, but sadly, my uh, my C-spine in my neck decided to fail me, and the decision was made that I had to have a pretty major surgery and would be unable to carry on campaigning, and so there was a big confab with the DNC and the DCCC, and the decision was made to have someone sub for me. And so, and, there, and so I have to ask you... I'm pretty glad it worked out the way it did because I don't think I would have handled uh, being in Congress 
two awfully well the last the four years of you know from two to sixteen to twenty would have been very difficult. Although every single cable news show at night would have wanted you on, right, uh, <laughs> to see what you were thinking. Um, let me let, let's talk about this show a little bit and getting it ready, because otherwise I know the PR people get all upset. Right. That's what we really have to talk about. And so, Dan, let me come back to you with with when we talk about when Harry met rehab. And I, I do know it's it's part of Harry's backstory, but I know he was Spike uh, Manton, who also has a sports background. So is this I mean, is this a, a real story set in a fictional place or are we really kind of getting a sense of like, you know, is your character's name Harry? Are we really getting a sense of this is Harry's story um, accompanied by Spike, who I know did some of the writing? Yes, I, I think it's it's heavily inspired by Harry's story. And uh, as he sets out, I mean, he's really. Uh, on top of telling his story, he's really, um, it's a dual thing showing, showing some of the, the, in retrospect, foolish steps when one is in denial about something obvious. Um, he's, uh, you know, sort of a little self, uh, deprecating, uh, but also showing the flawed heroes in his life, heroines, uh, magicians, that uh, that changed the course and saved his life, really. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah. We're 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 in the thick of it right now. We're just we're just past two uh, two weeks of rehearsal, so we're in the uh, we're in this the wonderful slog of it and uh, making tons of discoveries. It's wonderful. Which is fabulous to hear. Uh, Melissa, you know, it, it's you guys are always very careful whenever you do the interviews of talking. This is not a depressing show. It's not a downer. In fact, it's a comedy. And, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing anybody that watches TV as I do 24 seven. We're, we're now starting to get show promos, um, fairly frequently actually on some channels. And so you basically in the promos, you, you know, we sort of say, look, it's a story about, I can't quote it, but we're a story about sobriety, about, uh, you know, alcoholism, but, 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 you know, we're not, this is not a, a um, a serious or depressing pressing piece. So tell us how we're going to feel when we watch this. And is, and is alcoholism, is alcoholism something we, you know, get to laugh at? I, I, well, absolutely. Um, alcoholism and addiction and everything is something we get to laugh at. It's, I think it's the greatest survival mechanism we have is our, is our sense of humor. And, you know, you're talking to a kid who was raised by comics. So, uh, but it's, it goes beyond that. It is an absolutely universal thing that, you know, we, we have to laugh eventually, even at the most tragic things that we experience. And um, we do take the, the issue of alcohol and alcoholism very seriously in the play. And I think that a lot of people will find in every, it's universal in that we have all experienced this in one way or another, whether it's ourselves, a loved one, someone we've known. Our lives have been touched by addiction, all of us, and continue to be. And I think it's really important for us to remember especially coming out of what we've come out of, um, that the fellowship, uh, not just in those rooms and in, in, in the, the rehab and in the, the 12-step programs, but the fellowship that we have as humans on this planet needs to continue. We need each other. We need to support one another. And we need to learn, again, how to be compassionate and how to love unconditionally. Your yeah. point is so and, important, uh, and you're right. I think – go ahead, Dan. Well, I'm just uh, – Two things. I mean, I, I think we're all uh, we're all ready to recover from um, a lot of things. We've been through a pandemic. We've been by ourselves. It's you know how to how to 
yes, like Melissa was saying, uh, care for one another again. And also when you talk about comedy and tragedy, I mean, when you look at some of those great sitcoms uh, that uh, you love that I was on, most of the hilarious episodes could easily be tragedies if, if they were played differently or they're usually like, it's a horrible, horrible situation. Uh, but, uh, and in life, the, the worst many times turns out in the long run to be the best and vice versa. And, you know, Dan, since you mentioned that, because you're right, people tie you a lot to a comedy, so this makes sense. But, um, of course, two uproarious comedies you were in were the Hannibal Lecter movies. And and so, and I believe you were, that was a joke, and you were only one of two actors. I didn't know this before, but I do now. Um, you played two different characters, Jimmy Price in Manhunter, Roden in Silence of the Lamb. So people who haven't seen those movies, everybody has, or maybe they forgot, you're in those movies. But talk to me about the challenge of sort of doing, um, you know, sort of comedy here versus the drama. I'm getting a sense that this role has to involve both. I can't imagine it does not. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, again, I'm so grateful for a career where I've been able to do uh, a vast number of different kinds of roles with in silence of the lambs. Uh, uh, Paul Lazar, my friend and I played, you know, the two bug scientists and we were like the only levity in the entire movie. And uh, it, it was a blast. It was a blast to do. Uh, yes, the, you know, I think it's like uh, what draws me uh, all the time uh, and sparks my love of being an actor is just the contradictions in being a human being. That uh, uh, one thing is true and diametrically opposite thing could be true. And you, something strikes you as funny during a tragic episode in your life, or tragedy comes out of complete comic. Uh, and, and just and as Melissa was talking about laughter, I mean laughter just co- connects us to life so vividly and makes us awake and alive and and you know able to say thank you for so many th- things and i'm i'm so grateful that we're able to do live theater again and i just encourage everyone to brave it and come out and have a ball uh taking this journey with us i think all you have to do is see the videos of the first night that shows on broadway like lion king or wicked or hamilton when they came back and even here broadway in chicago's uh first show back which was rent the audience are, are going nuts and being a theater nut like i am you're so right dan just being in the environment we wear our masks we, we get our vaccinations we do what it takes to be safe but it's back and um and, and it is such a, an incredible feeling um that it's just amazing Melissa, let me come to you. By the way, I, I have to tell you, Melissa, one of my favorite shows of all time as well was Nip Tuck. And, and, and so, yes, I saw the episode. Yes, I hope the uh, the uh, animal uh, people didn't come after you for that that show. If Dan doesn't know what I'm talking about, explain it to him later. But um, was it fun working on that? that? Okay, yeah, it may not be for families. But um, what a great episode and what a unique episode. What, what Talk to me about playing that for a little bit. That had to be just goofy. It was it was it was interesting. I was a huge fan of the show. So when I got the call, I actually auditioned. When I got the call to audition, and I was auditioning for Ryan Murphy, which is like double the pressure. Um, I walked yeah. into the audition room, the conference room where they were reading people, and I did my audition. And I didn't know what the end of the story was. I just I didn't know what the why the dog had bit my character. 
And um, okay. <laughs> but they didn't reveal it to me until they called me and said, the role is yours if you want it. Here's the rest of the story. Are you okay telling it? Now go to makeup and get a prosthetic breast. Um, I, I was so nervous, though, in that audition because, you know, the stakes were high because I loved the show. I actually turned around and walked into a huge metal sculpture on my way out of the door and, like, cut, a, I cut my face. And it was just such a dumb I don't think there's but any doubt we're going to have a bunch of people listen. We're going to have a lot of people going to YouTube now and going, what is she? What was this episode? <laughs> but it was, and I know Dan, as soon as we hang up, he's going to t- talk to me. What was this? Um, but yes, Dan, yeah. it does involve. Yeah. Lots of fun things. And, and let me go back to the alcoholism for, for a moment, if I can. One of the things that I think you're right, everybody experiences it in one way or another, Alyssa, and, and I'm no, I'm no different. I've had to deal with it uh, with others. And one of the things I came to learn is that, it's hard to avoid. There, there's collateral damage uh, in any situation uh, where somebody's dealing with alcohol. There are family members, friends, whoever it is. There is always collateral damage, or there seems to always be collateral damage. Have you, in your own life, I don't mean to be too personal with you, but if something you can share that that you have had a lesson that takes you into the show that you relate to this topic? Oh my God, there's so many. I I, I have, you know, there's alcoholism in my family. I've I've had my my brushes with addiction myself and, and at different times in my life. And so I have a, a, a deep and abiding um, respect and understanding for, for all of the issues surrounding, I mean, all of the, 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 the fallout surrounding addiction. I've had friends who've died and OD'd and, um, you know, I think about them often, especially during this process. So it, it hits very close to home for me in a lot of ways. Dan, same question for you, if you're comfortable asking, answering it. Well, I think the 12 steps are uh, some of the most profound um, steps distilled down. Very simple. It's, uh, it's hard when you've got some of the most creative, intelligent, um, wild, wonderful people are in those rooms and uh, try to uh, dance around the simplicity and the clarity of those steps. And you just... Uh, you can't. Uh, they're uh, they're pretty profound and simple. And um, I think I I gain great clarity from the simplicity of the slogans that um, that twelve step offer. Like how important is it? Easy does it? Um, if it means let go and let God, you know things like that. They serve every uh, purpose and. And as Melissa was saying earlier, um, you know, we're, we're all in recovery. It's not just about substance abuse. It's, you know, uh, how do we recover from anger? How do we recover from uh, selfishness? How do we recover from, oh, the world should revolve around me? You know, how do we get back to being um, a people that care about one another? How do we get back to being an audience watching a show? Um, <laughs> Yeah, and there, there's so many. I remember being on cruises years ago, and before I kind of knew more about this topic than I did, and they would have these meetings, as you all probably know. You know, the, the friends of Bill W would get together, and I'm like, "Who is Bill W?" And I do I don't know the guy. Am I not allowed to? I didn't know what this what that meant. So I'm sure there's a lot of learning that's going to go on in this as well. Um, it, we're about out of time, but Melissa, let me just ask you: when when people leave this show, um, before they talk about where they're going to eat, what do you expect them to be talking about? Um. Gosh, I, I hope that they that they walk out um, 
having been moved, maybe taking a look at themselves or the people around them in a different light, um, and maybe connecting again to that compassion we've talked about repeatedly throughout the course of this interview and the return to being compassionate people from the people who were, you know, forced to live in our little silos for so for the last year and a half, two years. Um, so that's all I can think of is, you know, compassion and empathy seem to be the two things I want people to take away. And Dan, I mean, both of you have performed on stage all over the country, but you do understand, Dan, that Chicago audiences are probably the best in the country, and that might include New York, where they're all tourists? Well, I know they are. I brought my one-man show here for about two weeks back in 96 or something like that. I, it's a great theater town, and uh, I think, uh, you know, walking away, apart from uh, thinking about the show and the little seeds uh, we planted that hopefully take seed, uh, you just are reminded what a great experience going to the theater is and how you can't compare it to any other medium. Well, I can't wait to see both of you and say hi to you, uh, I hope, on opening night. When Harry Met Rehab by good old Chicago's very own Harry Tynowitz, as we like to say at WGN, and Spike Manton is playing at the Greenhouse Theater Center. Uh, that actually used to be the Victory Gardens Theater, for those who make that connection. The Greenhouse Theater Center at 2257 North Lincoln. It starts on November 24th, not too far away, playing through January 30th, and I, I sure hope it has a life beyond that. The website, WhenHarryMetRehab.com, is where you can get tickets. Um, Dan Butler, Melissa Gilbert, Enjoy the city. I'll meet you at Lou Melnati's for pizza some night. And uh, I hope you have a great time doing this run and enjoying Chicago. Thank you so much for being here. And break a leg. And when Harry met rehab. Thank you. Thank you. Well, if you want to know more about what we've talked about here, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Paul Lisnick. That's P-A-U-L-L-I-S-N-E-K. And I'd love to hear your comments or topic suggestions for future podcasts. You can also go to my website, paullisnick.tv and hey don't forget to hit subscribe on WGN Plus and iTunes and tune in each week to hear more insider scoop coming to you from behind the curtain